Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. My guest today is Payam Benazida. He's the CEO and founder of Capella Space. The website is C-A-P-E-L-L-A space.com. Payam, how are you doing? I'm doing good. How about yourself? Happy Wednesday to you. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad to uh, get you on. I know that you guys are doing great things uh, with, uh, I guess they're called synthetic aperture radar small satellites. So um, you can describe it a lot better than I can. Can you tell me the premise of Capella Space and what you're working on right now? Yeah, sure. We started the company a few years ago after being pretty frustrated with, um, if you remember, uh, there was a Malaysian flight that went missing. It was it was a flight that took off from Malaysia. It was going to China, um, MH370, um, mm-hmm. hundreds of passengers, triple uh, seven, and it just went missing. And I remember uh, watching CNN pretty frustrated at the fact that we couldn't find this massive plane and multiple governments were looking for it. So that was a frustration point for us. We started looking into why is it that we're not able to find that big plane and why is it that we're not monitoring our planet um, frequent enough to see big big things missing like that. And when we found that majority of our planet is is cloudy, uh, believe it or not, and and half of our planet is nighttime. And that poses this, uh, this huge limitation for all of these other satellites that are out there uh, that are using optical imaging. Um, optical imaging is not able to see through clouds and is not able to see at nighttime. And that that is about 75% of any given time or any portion of Earth that's either covered with clouds or nighttime. And so uh, there is another technology called synthetic aperture radar, uh, which does penetrate through clouds. So you could do imaging um, even when it's cloudy, and it does do imaging properly at nighttime. So we can also image at nighttime. Um, and the technology okay. has been around for a very long time. Um, however, the satellites that, do, that you know that um, that do synthetic aperture radar imaging are the size of a school bus. They're built by governments, uh, thousand kilograms, billion dollar satellites. And so we started a company to change that and. Um, you know, our satellites, we essentially took that 1,000-kilogram satellite and we miniaturized it, and now we've got a 37-kilogram satellite size of a backpack that can image through the cloud um, at nighttime, and we're launching them in dozens to be able to monitor our planet all the time. Oh, that's really cool. Um, you know, an, an idea that came to mind is, so you said they'll be able to see at night and also through clouds. What about if there's storms? Uh, can they see into a storm? You know, we might be able to get images of uh, the inside of tornadoes or the inside of hurricanes, that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, the, this is uh, the technique that's being used to do this type of imaging. It's an active imaging system, and we're we're sending out signals from our satellites. Uh, specifically, we're sending signals in X band uh, in the nine to ten gigahertz frequency. And, and in that band, in that frequency, clouds are completely transparent. Um, so the, the signals, you know, go through clouds. If, if you've got a tornado, for example, or a hurricane, um, they also don't see any of that stuff. It just goes through it. 
Uh, furthermore, if it's foggy, we don't really care. If it's hazy, we don't care. Uh, if it's pollution, we also don't care. Um, so, you know, as you know, um, you know, a lot of places in China, for example, is, is, it has pollution problems, which also doesn't really uh, help with doing um, optical imaging. You're just going to see the pollution from space. Um, we can see through all of that. And, and so it's, it's, a, it's a pretty powerful technique um, to do, uh, you know, very reliable and frequent imaging from space. Can you talk a little bit about the science of what synthetic, how, how synthetic aperture radar works and why it can see through these, uh, through night and through clouds when other uh, radar can't? Yeah, well, so it's, it's as if you're carrying your own flashlight. Uh, if you think about optical imaging, uh, the way optical imaging works, and by the way, you know, your, your, your phones are using um, optical uh, sensors, right? It's, it's, it's waiting for the light to get to it. So it's just sitting there. It's not really sending anything out, and it's just waiting there passively, waiting for the light to get into the lens to then be able to form an image. Well, uh, as you have experienced, I'm sure, if you take your phone into a dark room, there is no light. And if there's no light, there's no picture. Um, and same thing holds in space. All of these satellites that are using optical imaging, um, you know, it works just like your phone. They just have a bigger lens in their satellite, and they're waiting for the light to get to it. And, and if it's nighttime, there is no light getting into it. And if it's cloudy, the light that's getting into those lenses are coming from the top of the clouds and obviously not from under the clouds. Um, radar, however, synthetic aperture radar, you are actively sending out um, energy and signals from your sensor out. And so it's as if you're carrying your own flashlight and so you don't really care about the light being out there or not because you're providing the light. And the, 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 the power that you're sending out, as I mentioned, in that expand frequency, clouds are transparent, so it penetrates through the clouds. And what happens is these signals travel through space. Uh, our satellites are flying at 500 kilometer, and they travel 500 kilometer, they go through the clouds, they come all the way down to the ground. Um, you know, let's say we're imaging San Francisco, uh, and then they reflect back from San Francisco, they travel another 500 kilometers up, they penetrate the clouds again, uh, they come back to our sensors, and then we, you know, we make sense of those signals, and we can form an image um, of what it is that we're looking at, and how does it look, and uh, what are the characteristics, uh, what are the materials, what's the moisture, and all of these hidden information that's already in that signal that we received back. Um, and so those are those are the main differences on on how it's done um, compared to optical. Well, quick question here: Are these uh, are your satellites going to be in geostationary orbits, or are they low Earth orbits, so that uh, they're passing over the whole surface of the Earth? You know, does that signal bounce down at a diagonal and then bounce up at another diagonal? Yeah. So no, we're not in geo geo um, orbit. So geo is in the forty thousand kilometer, and it's you know where usually all the communication satellites are. Uh, the unique thing about GEO is if you put a satellite up at 40,000 kilometer, the rotation of that satellite around Earth and the rotation of Earth around itself syncs up. So you will always hover around uh, one area all the time. Um, the problem, however, uh, specifically for doing synthetic aperture radar is because you're so far away from space, it takes a lot of power and a lot of energy to be able to to, to generate, you know, send those signals uh, that are sufficiently powerful to travel that many kilom thousands of kilometers and then bounce back up. So all of these satellites, including ours, 
are in the low Earth orbit, which is the 500 kilometer range, uh, which doesn't really hover over one area, it actually goes around Earth. So our orbits, you know, one satellite goes around Earth in about 90 minutes. Um, and so you're not hovering around one area, you can cover a much wider area and go around our planet. But that's what's amazing to me is because um, you're essentially sending out a signal in one, sp one spot, and then the signal is bouncing back to you, you said, what, 500 kilometers away? So you're going through two different, well, I guess, yeah, it's the same signal, but it's bouncing through two different types of cloud cover or two different types of atmosphere, but you're still able to reconstruct it pretty accurately, right? Well, yes, and, and this, all of this, I mean, I, you know, the way, the way I describe it sounds like it's going to take a long time for the signal to travel, um, uh, you know, through 500 kilometers and then bounce back up and come back another 500 kilometers, but, you know, we're going at speed of light, um, so that's, you know, 300,000 kilometers per second. And, and so this, all of this happens in a fraction of a second, right? The signal is generated, it goes all the way down to the ground, 500 kilometers, um, and then it bounces back up in a, in a tiny little fraction of a second. Um, and, and so, um, in fact, when all of this happens, when you have sent and received this, the signal back, your satellite hasn't moved that much. This is how fast the, the, the you know the the, the 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 signal is traveling, right? Um, and it's a little crazy to think about it that way, but um, you know in reality that's how it's going to work out. Yeah, I'm impressed not only with the speed, but uh, the fact that again you're going through two different parts of the atmosphere as it goes down and comes back up, and right. that's not enough to interfere with the image you're able to create. That's what I think is doubly impressive about it. That's why I was surprised. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's 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 in the frequency that we use X-band that you know all of those atmospheric uh, conditions are essentially just not there. Uh, the signals just don't. Okay. Um, so uh, you know, it's probably a silly question, but what what can you see uh, that satellites can't see right now? You can see through rain, you can see through clouds. So um, is the uh, I, I guess the um, the resolution of the image, is it even better than current satellites or is it just as good? I mean, what, what can we see with it? Yeah, so the, besides from the ability to see through clouds in the nighttime, which allows you to now have reliability and have, you know, persistency and frequency, right? So you can always promise people that you're going to be able to look at a location every hour of every day and every night, no matter what the conditions are. And that's a big deal. Besides from that, because this imaging technique is an active imaging technique, right? You're sending signals from your satellite, which you understand really, really well because it's coming out of your system. And then you get the return and you can compare the two. Uh, it's a coherent system. You also get additional measurements that you might not be able to get. You definitely don't get with optical. I'll give you an example. Um, when we do a collection over, let's say, San Francisco, at our, you know, nine in the morning, and we come back with a second satellite and do another collection later in the day, maybe 6 p.m., and we put those two images on top of each other, we can understand how the surface of San Francisco, how the surface of Earth, or the ground, or, you know, buildings, or everything that we've looked at, how in the Z dimension, um, if there's been any changes to millimeter accuracy. Right, so people have been using this to detect tunnels because as you're digging tunnels underground, the surface of Earth is getting 
Um, you know, it goes down by only a, maybe a millimeter or two millimeters, and that's visible. You can you can use synthetic aperture radar to detect that. Um, you can see you know tracks of tires on muddy roads, for example, because it does displace the the ground by a little bit. Uh, when oil and gas companies are pumping uh, gas or air into the ground to pump out uh, oil. The surface is also changing by a few millimeters, so you can clearly see that. Um, there's a millennial tower in San Francisco that you might be aware that's actually tilting by a couple millimeters. Uh, it wasn't constructed constructed properly. You can detect that from space. You know, we're talking about a millimeter here and there, so it's it's, uh, it's a pretty powerful, uh, coherent technique to to look at very very little changes on the ground, and and that's something that you really can't get with optical imaging. The other thing is because, um, you know, again, this is computational data, you're getting the signals back and you really understand what you send out, you get a lot of understanding of the characteristics of the surface that you're looking at. So reflectivity, um, texture, moisture, those are things that are also hidden in that signal and you can extract that type of information out of it, which could be very helpful and useful in a lot of different applications. Yeah, that's amazing. Huh. I guess you calibrate it on the Leaning Tower of Pisa as it as it leans every year. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, so what are some of the specific applications that governments or uh, companies are crying out for? What do they most want to solve or see or observe? Yeah, yeah. So we are, you know, what we're really interested and excited about is, uh, you know, space is becoming open for business. It's been... You know, it used to be that space is, you know, a place where government can throw these billion-dollar satellites, and as a commercial company, no matter how big you are, it's just too expensive, and it just doesn't make sense for you. And the excitement that we have is, you know, that's changing now. And and so uh, we want to make space a place where, you know, you can you can run operations. You, we can we want to provide information from space to commercial companies and help them in their operations and become very tactical um, in what they do. And, and I'll give you a specific example. We're working with a utilities company out in, um, out in, a, in, in a European country. And these guys have a lot of infrastructure. Some of them are underground, uh, pipelines of all sorts, you know, gas pipelines and whatnot. And, and uh, you know, they, they spend a lot of money every year um, to, to fix the damages that are done to their pipelines, whether it's a random construction company that digs a digs a hole and then all of a sudden they they, they damage their pipeline, or someone builds some infrastructure some other infrastructure on top of their pipes, they're losing a lot of money um, and a lot of their resources on on stuff like that. And the problem is out on the ground, they're you know the obviously the the land is too big for them to be able to cover all of it um, at the same time in real time. So they send out a crew here and there and the crew, you know, manually inspects the infrastructure and make sure it's not damaged and make sure that no one is really touching anything. So what we can do from space, uh, we can essentially start monitoring all of their pipelines everywhere. And we could, if, you know, once we get to a point where we can do this on an hourly basis or at very high frequency, then as things are developing, you know, maybe there's a bulldozer moving in and it's about to do construction or maybe uh, there's some movement somewhere and it's getting a little too close to a very expensive and exquisite uh, infrastructure. Then we can notify these companies and they can send a crew 
uh, to either prevent something from happening or fix it immediately so it's not uh, causing more trouble. And so that's one use case, you know, just monitoring important places around the world um, for people and notifying them for whatever it is that they care about. Um, and we see a lot of commercial applications for that. Obviously, for government, um, you know, on the civil side, as, you know, there is a natural disaster developing somewhere, whether there's a hurricane or flooding or, or fire, it's really, really important to be able to have sort of eyes in the sky um, while this is developing. And, and unfortunately, majority of natural disasters happen, um, you know, when the weather is not that great. You know, if it's flooding, it's certainly raining. And so you can't really fly things, it's no fly zone, you can't have optical imaging, but it's really important for you to understand um, how the flooding is getting developed to then be able to route the emergency, uh, the first responders, and be able to figure out where the damage is being done. Insurance companies are interested in the same information uh, to understand you know, damage assessment of which one of the properties were damaged more to send for help and understand the you know, risk assessments and things of that nature. So there's a wide variety of different applications um, in the commercial sector that we're interested in, as well as in the government sector that we're really interested in. So this is like a, a pay-to-view, you know, specific areas type type thing. What percentage of the Earth could you observe if you wanted to just continually observe it? And is there a path or a desire, I'm sure there is, to uh, be able to see the entire Earth so millimeter accuracy everywhere to cover it 100% and observe the whole thing. Yeah, so we, you know, think about, you know, and this might not sound that great, uh, but there are a lot of places around around Earth that's just really not that interesting and not valuable. I mean, it, you know, middle of um, some random de um, desert um, doesn't really uh, doesn't really deserve to be looked at every hour because there's just not stuff changing enough and often there. And so what we plan to do is we plan to monitor, you know, the top 500 um, cities in terms of population, all the busy ports, all the shipping lanes, all the infrastructures around the world that, that people really care about, uh, and be able to monitor them all the time and build a really nice archive um, of how those places have been changing um, on an hourly basis over time. And then there are places that, you know, individual, you know, some, sometimes some companies or some governments um, have an interest to look, and it's not among that list. Uh, we can certainly look at those places as well. Um, and so our strategy isn't to cover the entire globe, 100% uh, of the globe, because that's just not a very efficient uh, way of using our, our, our resources up in space, but it's more of a targeted um, uh, approach of looking at important places where you know, 90% of the changes are happening and people are interested in. That makes sense. Okay. What about, um, you know, your satellites cross over other countries and even in our country, they may see things that, you know, our government or other governments say, don't look at that. We don't want you looking there. How do you resolve that? Or do you need to cooperate with other governments or are they going to be uh, suspicious or wanting to talk to you or wanting to uh, tell you what to do and what you can see, what you can't? Yeah, so as an American company, obviously we have to follow the rules and regulations of U.S. And, uh, you know, there are certain uh, restrictions that are put on uh, companies like Capella for national security reasons. But, you know, one, one thing about Capella is that we want to bring transparency into the world. And so um, 
you know, unless we're um, specifically asked, um, yeah, we are under regulations as an American company uh, to follow the rules of, of U.S. and for national security reasons, there are certain things we can't do. Uh, but in terms of at an international level, um, there's really no there's nowhere that we can't look, and there's no country that can come back to us and say you can't look at this place. And, and so we are excited to be able to provide transparency, um, you know, to to essentially um, everyone in the world. And, and I think that's an important thing that we we want to be able to do. Yeah, that's great. Um, earlier on, you said you know the uh, the government launched. SARs are about a thousand kilos and they're huge and yours are 37 kilos, you know, size of a backpack. You said, I guess you're also launching constellations of them. So not just one, but a dozen or maybe dozens. Um, any other comparisons, you know, the cost, the, the average cost of the government to launch one of their big ones versus the cost for you to launch, you know, per satellite, your small ones or, uh, you know, the cost of your imaging versus theirs. Any metrics you can give that will be really cool to hear about. Yeah, sure. So, you know, these typical um, traditional satellites that do synthetic aperture radar and they've been doing it for a long time, 1,000 kilogram size of a school bus. In comparison, we're 37 kilogram and we're size of a backpack. Um, on the cost side, it's, you know, the traditional satellites are uh, a billion dollar or more. Um, and, and so, really really expensive and in comparison our satellite is in the is in the lower single digit million so a billion dollars to a lower single digit million thousand kilograms to 37 kilograms and then you know size of a school bus to size of a backpack and, and so quite a difference i would say um, what about in terms of uh, resolution you're going to be doing millimeter or several millimeter resolution what's in store for the next few years is it just getting these things deployed and then fine-tuning them or is the technology also advancing where we're going to be able to get a lot more accurate and would that even be helpful to get to sub-millimeter resolution? Yeah, so just one one point of clarification, the sub-millimeter, you know, the, the few millimeter resolution is only in the Z dimension. So that's, you know, how the surface is changing. Uh, the resolution of pictures in terms of pixels, you know, in the X and Y, are typically in the one meter or slightly less or slightly more, and that's kind of where okay. we are. These exquisite, you know, thousand kilogram satellites, um, the, you know, one thing they can do really, really well that, you know, we won't really be able to do for a long time is they can do a really, really fine, risk, high quality resolution. So they can do, you know, quarter meter resolution or better um, in those X and Y dimensions where we are. Uh, starting to do one meter, and then we're going to move towards uh, doing half a meter. Uh, but that's okay because it's an exponentially more difficult problem to go from one meter or half a meter to you know quarter meter to ten centimeter. And what we found is 80, 90 percent of all the applications that we're interested in, uh, that one meter to half a meter resolution is actually sufficient, and it's just not worth it for us um, to you know all of a sudden have a thousand kilogram satellite just because we want to have a 25 centimeter. So it's just one of those 80, 20 rules with, where, you know, you're spending 20% of effort and you get 80% of the, the, uh, the bang for your buck. Uh, but you know, we are going to continue evolving. Um, one thing about us is we are using the latest and the best technology that's getting developed 
out in other industries and bringing those to aerospace, which is not very common. Uh, we're flying a, a GPU on our satellite, and that hasn't happened before. And, and if you look at the entire aerospace industry, uh, it's extremely conservative and things are usually outdated by 10, 15, 20 years. I mean, believe it or not, the rover, for example, that we launched um, to Mars, um, you know, your iPhone has more computational power than that rover. And, and so with us, we're just trying to evolve with, and with the technologies of other industries and bring all of those into aerospace and, and move really, really rapidly. Right, it makes sense. Okay. And then in terms of, um, I, I had seen an article saying that uh, you just closed a new round of funding. So, you know, just an update for listeners on your funding path, how that how that's going. Yeah, so we just closed our B round. Um, you know, so venture, you, you raise money in, in multiple rounds, uh, angel, C, A, B, C, D, and hopefully you don't go after D. Um, and, and, you know, you're using those capital to grow the company and, and, and hit some of your technical as well as the business milestones. Uh, so we just closed our B round. Uh, it's our, let's see, our third or fourth round of fundraising. Uh, it's a $20 million round and it allows us to launch more satellites, develop more of our technical capability, um, as well as on the business side, obviously develop the product and, and get into market. Um, so we're pretty excited about that. Well, that's great. I see, I see really great things for you guys coming. Um, any last comments, uh, any big watershed moments that are coming in the next six months or year or two years? Any big goals that you guys are working towards? Well, we've got our first uh, launch of the first satellite coming up in mid-November. Uh, we've been working on this for the past two and a half years uh, to essentially go from that 1,000-kilogram satellite to the 37-kilogram. Um, and finally, you know, after two and a half years, it's launching in November. Uh, with SpaceX out of Vandenberg, California. And, uh, and so that's probably a, one of the biggest moments in the next couple of weeks or a couple of months. Um, and then we have multiple launches scheduled after that. But uh, it's a historic moment for, for our company as well as for our country because we are launching the first commercial uh, American SAR satellite. Uh, SAR satellites uh, haven't been... Uh, you know, they're international, internationally they exist. Germans have some, Canadians have some, Italians have some, but, um, U.S. hasn't had any. And, and so we're changing that hopefully this November. And so we're pretty excited about that. That's great. That's awesome. All right. So for listeners, what's, uh, how can they keep tabs on, uh, you know, the race towards the launch in November and how can they find out more information or, you know, get in contact for collaboration or other questions? Yeah, so we, you know, LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, Capella Space, if they search any of that, um, they can they can keep up. I'm also on Twitter at Tyum, B-A-N, Tyum Ben, and um, happy to get in touch and chat more about this. That's great. Tyum, thanks a lot for coming. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.